Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. Before we start uh, the the message, we're going to uh, again be talking about attitudes this morning, trying to really get the church to where we are New Testament church, right? So uh, anybody here, is there anybody can, can tell us some of the attitudes we've been talking about? Anybody? Please give me one. (laughs) What's what's some attitudes we've been talking about? What's some attitudes we need as a church? Prayer. Prayer, Okay, very good. Anything else? Grace. Grace. Christ, yeah, absolutely. What? Vision, yep. Vision was last week, yep. What other? Worship, okay. Any more? Trust. Got one more we missed. Servant, we need a servant's attitude, right? So, so we, we're, we're trying to build up the type of attitude, the type of heart that we need to be a New Testament church. Um, and regardless of what the future holds, we need a New Testament attitude, right? We need the attitude the New Testament teaches us. And this morning we have such a beautiful text uh, to read. I, I, I'll be honest, I, I know we've read this many, many, many times and preached on it many times. It just warms my heart, and as I read it, read it, studying it this week, it just really um, just moves my heart when we read it. If you guys would allow me, I'd like to read uh, uh, two texts uh, this morning. If you guys would uh, read with me in Second uh, Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, both. Uh, so if we could stand and honor God's word, pay real close. This is the New Testament church. This is God's plan. This is how God laid it out for it to be. Plan has not changed. So in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common." And they sold their possessions and their goods and parted them to all men as every man had, had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking of bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added daily such as should be saved. Now let's look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which they possessed was his own, but they had all things common." And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and with great grace was upon them all. 
Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or house or sold them, and brought the price of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto the to every man according to as he had need. And and Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted son of consolation, a Levite. And of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money in the la- and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let us pray. Lord, how I thank you for our church. Lord, I thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for what we feel in our hearts. Lord, how I thank you for the beautiful uh, pattern, Lord, you've laid out in your word for us to follow. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us as a people, Lord, to just line in with what your word says and be that, that New Testament church, Lord, that we know that your will for us to be. Lord, I pray you'd open hearts this morning. I pray you'd help me that I would not um, get in the way of the message, but Lord, it would be clear to everyone I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. <clears throat> so, I'm going to try to just, again, just look at what the Bible says and lay it out real clearly. But, but let me just say just a few things uh, about the message. The message of generosity of uh, lifestyle, uh, the lifestyle of being generous, right? Um, I have no desire whatsoever for everybody here. Please hear me. Please hear what I say. Please, everybody listen. I have no desire to give anybody a guilt trip, Okay. And I, and I really don't think that's how this is supposed to be done. I, I, I really think that preaching is not supposed to be done that way. But on this particular subject, if you're sitting here thinking, boy, he's beating us up or he's trying to pump us for something, you got it all wrong. I, I have no desire to give you a guilt trip. But there is a beautiful picture of what the church should be here, and, and we need to see it. So, so that is my desire this morning. I've said this many, many times. Most of the people in this church are crazy generous. I can't believe how generous you guys are. I mean, you guys, you guys give and are generous, and, and, and so this isn't about a bunch of stingy people that are, that are not generous. You guys are very generous. But I do believe we need some instructions. I believe we need a little bit of, a, of direction in understanding our, uh, our finances. So we're going we're gonna to try to take what the Bible says on that. <clears throat> I think this quote is in your uh, notes uh, it's Francis Bacon said this a long time ago, preachers have repeated it all over, but money is a great servant, but a terrible master. Do I need to explain that? Did you guys get that? Money, everybody here needs money. Anybody doesn't need money? Anybody here like to eat? Anybody like to have some place to sleep at night? Right? We all need money. So money, we need money. And money serves us to give us what we need. I, I need food to eat. I need clothes to wear. I need a vehicle to drive. It serves me. If I earn money to serve me and, and provide the things that I need, uh, it serves me. But it becomes my master when I say I earn money and now I, I, it controls me. Do we see the difference? There are people that money controls them. They're so caught up. You know, it's so very interesting uh, that, that so often rich people who have lots and lots of money, do you know what they worry about? Not having enough money. And often poor people who don't have hardly anything, you know what they don't think about? They don't ever think about their money. So money can control you or you can control money. But everybody here needs money, right? So, so let's just establish that. But we do not want money to be our master. We want it to be our servant. All right? So that being said, 
Let's look back at the text. Let's just look at chapter 2, because I think this is just so beautiful, uh, such a beautiful, beautiful picture. And we're going to try and make, make it real clear what this is saying. A few phrases really stuck out to me, but in verse 42, or chapter 2, it says, continued steadfastly. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful word? You know what that's saying? Everybody in the church was, we weren't in and out and here sometimes, not here sometimes, and, and, and on board one time and not on board. We're just, we're just steadfast. We're here. We're, and, and this is an amazing church, but most of you are very, very steadfast. You were here for the services. You are here for what we are doing. You are a part of it. You were, we're a very steadfast congregation. Praise God. But we've talked many times. They, they came together to, to hear the word of God. That's the apostles' doctrine. They came together to fellowship to break bread, to pray. All those things have to be in the New Testament church. It's not what we're preaching on this morning, but clearly a part of what we're supposed to do. Verse 43 just tells us that God showed up. There were some miracles happening, right? And God still does miracles today, but God shows up in verse 43, and he's, he's doing miracles and wonders and signs. But I like verse 44, and all that believe, so if we could just say this, the Christians, all the Christians were together. And had all things common. Guys, that is what church is supposed to be. Amen? Amen. We're family, right? We're, we're all family here. We're all together here. So we all come together as care. In other words, we don't have people say, well, we don't really care about them. They, they, they don't really matter. No, we're all here together. We're all uh, um, as, as one big family. <clears throat> and then he goes on to speak about selling their possessions that, to, to provide as every man had need. And we're going to talk about that here just in a second. But, it, but then he goes on in verse 46 and it says, with one accord in the temple. The Bible is so very clear when you have a church that's fighting amongst itself and can't get along and there's all kinds of division and all kinds of fighting, all kinds of bickering going on, it's not a New Testament church. Always the New Testament church. One mind, one accord. All on the same page. You know how that is? Because you follow the Bible. Listen, if you follow man, you're probably going to get all messed up. If you follow all the different traditions and things, you're going to get messed up. But if everybody here follows the Bible, we're going to be in one mind and one accord. And if someone's not in one mind and one accord, all we've got to say is, what does the Bible say? And I tell you guys, you need to correct me if I don't teach you the Bible. But if someone else here is not following the Bible, they need to get in line with the Bible. And we'll always be in one mind and one accord. That's just real easy to understand, I think. <clears throat> and it says in verse, uh, uh, we can write chapter. <clears throat> it says that they had, uh, the end of 46, it says, they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Again, they were all on the same page. And then it says that God added to the church uh, as he saw fit. So there's just a beautiful, beautiful picture here of what the church should be. Uh, chapter 4 kind of gives you the same idea. Do you guys see, when we look at those two instances, do you guys see how that's what we are becoming here to church? Do, do you guys see that? Is, is that what we're coming here to church? We, we, we're, we're just together. We eat together. We spend time together. We, we do everything together. Everyone's on board with everything we're doing. One mind, one accord, and, and all these things. So, so let's look just a little bit, because I want to clarify a little bit, and then we'll get into the outline. <clears throat> it says they had all things in common, and then it said some of them sold their possessions and gave to every man his need. So things were a little bit different back then. We understand that. But is this saying that it, 
2023 at Sand Hill Church, all of you need to go sell everything you have. We'll just put it into one pot and we'll just distribute it out. Is that, is that what this is teaching? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, those of you who don't have anything, yeah, let's do that. Those of you who are saying, no, that's not a great idea. All right. But that's not what that's saying, right? That, that's not what that's saying at all. Here's what it's saying. It said, to them that had need. Now, let me just make this really, really clear. Because I think we, I think we have some things we need to understand today that, that we maybe have a little bit mixed up. Do you understand that in the day that this was written, there were no government checks? There was no pension fund. There was no Social Security. There was not all the benefits we have today. There was not a company to work for and all those things. It was not any of those things. Do you guys realize that in this time, that when they said they're in need, what they were talking about is people starving to death. They haven't ate for five days, and they have nothing to eat tomorrow. This is talking about people who don't have a place to stay. There's no roof over the head. They're outside in the, we in the weather. This is talking about people that are in need. So, so here's Sand Hill. So, so, so we don't have any rich people here, right? We've got any rich people here? No, no rich people here, right? We don't have any rich people here. So we, and, and a lot of us, pro probably most of us, I'm, I'm guessing just, you know, listen to the conversation. I'm guessing most of you here would probably say, we have a hard time making it. Well, we just, we just barely get by. Right? So how many people here this morning have a car? Do you know, this is interesting. Solomon is known as the richest man who's ever lived. They say he's, he would be way more wealthy than, than, uh, than Bill Gates today. He, he had so much money. But do you realize he didn't have running water? <laughs> he had to go outside and sit on the outhouse. Right? He, he, he didn't have heat. He, he didn't have nice registers blowing warm heat on him. He, he probably had a barrel with some wood in it, right? He didn't have AC. Get this, it's hard to believe, richest man in the world did not have a cell phone. And he didn't, are you women listening? He did not have internet service. Are you with me? He did not have a big screen TV. All right. And truth be known, the wealthy people in the, in the first century here, the rich people probably had three or four outfits to wear. Are you guys getting this? How many people here got three or four outfits to wear? Or 15 or 20 or 35 or 40? What I'm trying to show you is we like to convince ourselves, oh, I'm having a really hard time making it. I can't hardly make my two car payments, my electric bill, my internet bill, my cell phone bill, my grocery bill, go out to eat four times. I can't hardly make it. Listen, guys, we're not poor, right? It's the American way. So often in the churches, here's one thing I think needs to be corrected. Often in the churches, that's what we're talking about, is in the American way of doing things, I am poor. I am poor. Now, I may have all of the amenities I just named you, but I am poor. And I need someone to give me money so I can have better, Right? Is this making sense to anybody at all here? Is anybody, is anybody getting this? We're really not poor. If you are at Sand Hill Church and you do not have a home to go to and you have no place to sleep and you're sleeping outside in the cold and you do not have a car and you do not have food to eat tomorrow, you need to come see us because we will take care of you. Right? But if you have all of those things and you didn't take care of your money and you can't put tires on your car, you're not needy. You need to take care of your money. And I think we really get those things mixed up, right? 
Okay, so so this said those that are in need, the church took care of them. The church today should still take care of those in need. It is just defining what those in need are. So interesting question. I want some participation here. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I know you guys love raising your hands. I want, I'm pretty sure that you can raise your hand. Okay, uh, so I want to ask you to raise your hand this morning. This is a theological question. I want an honest answer. God is watching. Theologians disagree. We're going to discuss it this morning. But does the Bible teach in the New Testament that tithing is required? Raise your hand. Does it teach that? All right. Now, that was kind of a trick question. Because about four of you raised your hand. So those four of you that raised your hand, that tells me that the Bible says you need to be giving 10% of your income to the church. Okay? So there's, some, there's a lot of really smart Bible people who say the Bible does not teach tithing in the New Testament. I'm kind of starting to agree with that. The brother that was down there last week, Brother Jeff, he gave us kind of a long dissertation on he does not believe the New Testament teaches the, the tithe. But every scholar that I've ever heard, ever who said the New Testament does not teach the tithe, you know what they say? It's more like 15 or 20 or 25%. So those of you that raise your hand, you get off easy. 10%, you are required. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, 20 or 30 is what we're looking at here, okay? All right? And, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm being kind of serious. The Bible, and we're going to look at it this morning, but the Bible, uh, some argue that in the New Testament that we are required to pay a tithe. Some say we're not supposed to pay a tithe. But there ain't nobody reading their Bible saying, well, you don't have to give anything. That's just not there. Can I remind you that giving the Lord of the first fruit goes all the way back to Cain and Abel? <laughs> Listen, it didn't start with Moses. Abraham paid a tithe. All from Adam and Eve up until Jesus, always, 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 you took your money and you gave your money to the Lord, your first fruit. And then we come to the New Testament, and, and, I, and I think there's an argument to be made on either side. And some very, very smart people have argued that the, the New Testament does teach that we have to tithe, and, and some say that it doesn't. But again, if it doesn't, what that means is, under the law, if you know your Bible, under the law, things always increase under grace. In the Old Testament, you can't commit adultery. In the New Testament, you can't even look at her. In the Old Testament, you can't kill somebody. In the New Testament, you can't even have bad thoughts about them. Right? It always increases. So if we don't have a tithe today, it is much more than a tithe. So we want to look, we want to look at that. So, so interesting that with the vote came out this morning. We're, we're, we're way above 10% looks like by the raise of hands this morning. So, <clears throat> so, tip, uh, so the Bible teaches the very word tithe is 10% of your increase given to God. Now, <clears throat> people say, well, I put my tithes in the offering. I wrote a check for $20. So you're telling me you live on $200 a week? <laughs> Listen, you can't tithe and give 3%, 2%, 1%. That's not a tithe. A tithe is 10%. That, that's literally what the word means. So it is 10%. This is really important. And again, I'm, I'm trying to straighten out some things. We, we have very generous people here. You guys are very generous. And, and, I'm, and for the most part, most of you are not um, stingy old geysers who won't, won't part with your money. But 
this is important, and I'm trying to straighten out some things I think we got messed up here. A tithe is given to God and not to a need. The reason I say that is I have known people, and there are people in this church, but I have known people all down through my life, they didn't like giving money to the church. Now, if brother so-and-so has a need, we'll give him hundreds of dollars because there's a need. But give it to the Lord? No, I'm not interested in that. I had a lady ask me one time, in this church, she didn't go here anymore. That lady asked me in this church one time, she said, Pastor, I know we're supposed to tithe, but by, my kids are having a really hard time making it. If I just give the money to them, isn't that the same as giving it to the Lord? No, it's not. Right? No, it's not. And what that is, is I'm going to bypass the tithe, and I'm just going to give my money to my kids. Well, most of your mamas would like to give all your money to your kids. Amen? But that's not a tithe. Okay, and I didn't say there's anything wrong with helping your kids out. I'm just saying that's not a tithe to the Lord. So a tithe is giving it to God and not giving it to some other thing out there. <clears throat> so this is so very important, and this, I believe, is the crux of the message, and this is what these, these scriptures teach us here in Acts. God does not need your money. Can I get an amen? amen. God does not need you. How silly is that? Where are we going to get the money to do this? Where are we going to get the money? Listen, God can send us a check for a million dollars tomorrow. He can send us a check for a billion dollars tomorrow. How privileged are we to be able to be a part of what God is doing? But God does not need our money. And I want you guys to get that. This is not a guilt trip. This is not a God's trying to squeeze it out of you. God does not need your money. Anybody here know God's rich? <laughs> How rich is he, by the way? Infinitely rich. He does not need your money, but he does want your heart. He does want your heart. He's not interested in your money. He does not need it. Sand Hill Church does not need it. Your pastor does not need it. It is not about the money. It is about your heart. But that being said, your money says an awful lot about your heart. So let's just look at this a little bit. If I could have all of you just pass your checkbooks forward and we'll look at them. And I was to open up Brother Terry's checkbook, and I was to open up Brother John's checkbook, and Josh's checkbook, and Steve's checkbook, and, and everybody here, I was to open up your checkbook and look at it, and however you pay your bills, your, your Visa card or whatever, I'm going to know very, very quickly, instantly, where your heart's at. If there's 14 shotguns on there, guess what you like? <laughs> right? <laughs> For some of you, if there's 900 trips to McDonald's, guess what you like? Right? If there's all kinds of tools on there, guess what you like? Maybe all your money's going to close. Guess what you like? But real quickly, your checkbook will tell what's... Because here's the thing, guys. When you get your paycheck, if you get a paycheck, when you get that, you are free to spend it on whatever you want. You can waste it. You can spend it on a house. You can spend it on a car. You can spend it going out to eat. You can spend it on... Whatever you want to, right? So what you decide to spend your money on tells me what you care about. Am I making sense? Amen. So God says, when you give it to me, that shows me and everyone else that I am what matters to you. And some of you probably had a heart attack when I said pass your checkbooks forward. But seriously, if I could see your checkbook, would I see that God is important to you? Or would I see that a whole lot of other things are more important than God? Because we can tell. 
We can tell when we look. So, so in this in this illustration here in the book of Acts, these people, uh, 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 I, I, some people want to twist this, pervert it, take it out of context, make it say, okay, this is not a commune where everybody comes together and sells everything and they live and they, th th that's not what this is. And this is not some kind of weird, crazy thing. This, this was a time when people did not, they were not literally not able to survive and there was, they were going to take care of them. But in a day that we live in, this is the picture of not uh, everyone selling everything they have and giving it to the poor people. This is a picture of we're all here together in one mind and one accord and, and, and our finances are not about all what I need but it is about what God wants me to do with them. Is that clear to you guys? You guys understand that? So <clears throat> the New Testament is a picture of giving joyfully and generously all of our money belongs to the Lord. Is there anyone who give me an amen on that? Listen, I don't give him 10% and the 90% is mine. He gets 100%. He is kind enough. My God is so good to me. He says, Gary, I, I, I have all of your money. I have 100% of it. But I'm going to let you have enough to make a house payment. And I'm going to give you enough to have a car to ride in. And I'm going to let you have some to put food on your table. And I'm going to let you have some to buy some clothes. And Gary, I love you so much, I'm even going to let you have some money to just go have fun with. Because I love you so much. But all of it is mine. And as Christians, we need to understand it's not 90-10. It's 100% his, and he can have whatever he wants. Amen? And that is the picture we have in the New Testament. So let's look at lifestyles. That's really what I want to kind of get to. Let's look at lifestyles. The definition a dictionary gives of a lifestyle, I was hoping to be something real fancy and profound, but this is what it says, and it actually kind of makes sense. It's just a simple definition. A lifestyle is a way of life. It's just a way of life. <clears throat> It's how you live life. So, fun illustration. You guys are going to love this. Ready? Everybody going to love this illustration. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm not going to name names. But we all know this is true. We all know this is common. We all know that this is, this is kind of where we're at. You look in the mirror and you say, my clothes look terrible on me. I can barely get into them. They don't fit me. I'm getting so big. I can't stand it. Tomorrow, I'm starting a diet, right? And I'm going to watch my calories, and I'm going to cut back on what I eat, and I'm going to quit eating sweets, and I'm going to do really, really good. And so you do that. And the whole time you're watching your calories and not eating sweets and everything else, well, all you can think about is chocolate cake and donuts and ice cream, right? That's all you can think about, right? And so you lose 40 pounds because you watched your calories and you did really, really good. And so you get in your clothes and say, man, that looks so good. I love that. But man, that chocolate cake looks so good. I can't hardly stand it. And then you start eating chocolate cake again and you put your 40 pounds on plus 20 more, right? Now that is a very common scenario that happens very, very often. So I don't know who did this, but some years back, um, someone came up with the idea, we don't need, we should never, ever go on a diet again. Can I encourage you, if you're here wanting to lose weight, do not go on a diet. It's the worst thing you do is it does not work, and you should never, ever go on a diet. If you're planning on starting, how many of you have done this? Don't, don't smile. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have done this? I'm going to start a diet Monday, so I'm going to eat every cake and everything I can get my hands on. Gorge myself before Monday. 
And then it's almost like a temporary fast for the next three months. I'm going to starve myself so I can go back to gorging myself after I get done. Listen, that won't work. So someone came up with this idea of a lifestyle change. See, a lifestyle change is not, I can't stand the way I look in the mirror, so I'm going to sacrifice my calories and be miserable for a little while until I look good in that dress again. Do you know what lifestyle change is? My life is going to change forever. There's never that time down the road where I'm going to gorge out on sweets again. There's never that time when I'm going to overeat and, and just, you say, well, you, I've heard so many people say, well, you're telling me I, gotta, I never can eat good again. What I'm saying is, if you're just doing it for a temporary time, you might as well just, you might as well just enjoy it and not do that for a temporary time. It, a lifestyle is a lifestyle, which means the rest of your life, that's how you're going to live. So once you make up a lifestyle, I want to be healthy and I want to eat healthy. Now you're not saying, when this is over, I'm going back and gorging. Now you're saying, for the rest of my life, I'm going to live healthy. And that is how you lose weight and stay off. Now, that was a fun subject, right? Fun illustration. Let's look at tithing. Let's look at tithing. It is a lifestyle. And not even tithing, generosity. It's a lifestyle. It is not, there's a need, so I'm going to give, but then I'm going to go back to being stingy. It is not, a, I feel really guilty this morning, so I'm going to start putting more in, but no, it's just, now I'm going back. It's not that. It is a, the way I live every day, because that is my lifestyle. Do you guys understand this? So we, we want a lifestyle of generosity, if that makes sense to you. It's, a, it's an ongoing way that you live life. It's how you look at life all the time. It's not on and off. It's not sometimes and sometimes not. It's all the, all the time. Lifestyle is an attitude. Lifestyle is an attitude. It is the way you look at life. Clearly the first century church had the attitude of generosity. You cannot read your Bible without seeing that the whole, the whole of the church, the idea was, was generosity. And again, back then, they, they may have been dealing with people starving to death, but the idea was, once you become a Christian, it's not all I can hoard up. It, it is the idea of being generous to those that are in need. Today, we cannot be a New Testament church without being generous. Can I get an Amen. Listen, guys, if we, don't, if we want to be a New Testament church, it's good to trust God and it's good to, to be a servant's heart and it's good to worship and it's good to pray and all those things we talk about and the, and, the, and, all, and the vision, all that we talked about. But listen, if we're not generous, we're not a New Testament church. It requires generosity to be a New Testament church, clearly. So let's look at, <clears throat> let's look at a couple more scriptures. Let's look at 2 Corinthians Beautiful, beautiful text. Let's just because we could we could look at all kinds of texts this morning. We won't. We'll just spare you from re, and read just a couple to you. But Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse number six. Um, I like to go down through eight, Josh. I don't know if you can do that, but uh, <clears throat> six through eight. <clears throat> but this I say: He which soweth sparingly shall also reap. Shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, let him, let him give, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So God says, if you just give generously, he will give back generously. And if you give stingily, he will give back stingily. 
do, do we need a theological degree to understand that? Amen. Guys, that's easy to understand. If you give generous, he is generous to you. If you give stingy, he is stingy to you. But then it also goes on to say, not only do you give generously, but you give with joy. It is a joy to give to the Lord. It is a joy to give to what God's doing and to be a part of it, to give to God's work. It is a joy. The word literally, in the Greek, this word literally is the word hilarious. It is the idea of I'm, I'm, just, I'm filled with laughter from giving my money to the Lord. And he says if you put that in the... So again, he wants your heart and not your money. So you write that check out for 10% of your income and you write it out and you're just miserable all the time, thinking of all the times you can go out to eat for that money and you put it in the offering and you're not... Can I tell you, that didn't help God or anybody else? Your heart is what he wants and not your money. So, <clears throat> so if that is true, you can actually be tithing and still be sinning because you're not giving your heart, you're giving your money, right? <clears throat> Let's look at one more while we're here. <clears throat> Back up just a little bit. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8. Let's look at that. <clears throat> moreover, when, moreover, brethren, we do you wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia and how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry of the saints." <clears throat> What does it mean when it says beyond their power? What does that mean? It means they were, their heart was so into giving, they actually gave more than they could afford to give. Is there anybody here, I, I'm just guessing some of you people, because some of you people are so generous, but is there anybody here that has actually gave more than you could afford to give? I'd love to have times to have testimonies. People stand up and say, I gave more than we could afford to give, but God took care of us. God blessed us. God gave us what we needed when we needed it. So, so they, they were giving more than they were able to give. <clears throat> so let's look at giving versus lifestyle. <clears throat> How many of you know that we're, uh, we got inflation in the United States? Amen. Go to the grocery store, prices are up, gas prices are up, it's, it's just tough. My guess is probably everybody here is feeling the pinch. The, 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 again, this isn't, a, this isn't a message about guilt trips. I, I know that we're all feeling the struggle of not having enough money, right? I get that. And, and so uh, I also know that, uh, that, that for me and Renee, we feel the, the, the squeeze of all the prices going up. And we feel the squeeze of getting my check and there's not enough to go do everything we need to do, right? We, we feel that pressure. So, so we're all in this together. So let's look at giving a tithe versus the lifestyle, right? The two differences here. So I know this goes on at Sandhill Church for some of you, and some of you it doesn't. So if you put in your 10% to the church because you know you're supposed to, but money's tight, and that's all he's getting... 
but I gave him his part. Okay? Now, maybe some of you aren't even giving him his part, but maybe you're giving him his part, and that's all he's getting. Let's just stop here real quick, and let, let's just, because I, I know this to be true, and, and I, this, some of this is a pat on the back for some of you, but I also am trying to draw a picture of what church is supposed to be. How many of you know, let's just take a deep breath, okay? How many of you know it is a, costs a lot of money to go to Sand Hill Church? It costs a lot of money to go to Sand Hill Church. But here's what some of you do. Some of you, you, you put your tithe in the offering, and maybe that tithe is a 15 or 20% of your income. But then we're going out back to eat, and I know some of you sisters, because I see what you bring, you're spending $20, $30 every Sunday to go out back and eat. And then Josh comes up with the crazy idea of having another meal in the same week. So now we not only have one meal, but we have two meals. And he wants us to bring food for the first one and for the second one. So I've already spent $30 over my tithe, and now i got to do it again and buy another meal. And then they're having a nativity scene, or Renee's wanting stuff for OCC, or they're doing something for camp, or they're, they're having a birthday party, or, and, they want, and it just costs money, and it just costs money, and it just costs money, and it just costs money. Right? Stop right there. Some of you are doing that every week and are tickled to death to do it. And some of you are thinking, if I did that, I couldn't go do what I want to do. Do you see the difference between lifestyle and tithing? One is I'll give what I have to give. If they're going to ask for two meals a week, if I got to spend $30 on my food out back, I'm cutting that off the top of my tax, off the top of my tithes, Right? I'll just slice that $30 off my tithe, and the Lord's still getting my tithe. I'm just putting part of it back there. But some of you say, I'm just going to give. I'm just going to give. But here's what I observe as the pastor of the church. I've observed this for years and years and years and years. And I, 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 this isn't my first story. I've been around for a while. The people who are crazy generous, <laughs> what does Mike Blanton say? I'm taking a shovel and shoveling it out the front door, and he's got a front end loader dumping it in the back. Can I get an amen? amen? Is there anybody here with me on that? Amen. Is there anybody here who's really give to the Lord? It's like you just can't outgive him. The faster you're giving him away, he's giving it to you. And it just keeps coming in. So some of you are spending a lot of money to go to Sand Hill Church, and you're very happy about it. But the thing about it is, God is blessing you. And I've been here for a long time, and I've watched the people come into this church, and almost everybody who has come into church, especially those who have really become part of the core and really are giving, you are far better off today than you are when you came to this church. Do you remember the story about Joseph? I think we preached on Joseph not long ago, but remember the story about Joseph? I'm not going to try and re-preach it real quick, but, but do you know what it says about Joseph? From a time he was a teenage boy till he became ruler of, of the world, Joseph served God. And you know what the Bible says? God was with him. Do you know you can tell when God's with you? Because there are people in this church who have gave crazy amounts of money, and God is with you. And if you look back 10 years ago or 15 years ago where you were at, you are so much farther ahead than you are, were then than you are now. Why? Because you're shoveling it out and he's pulling in. I do not go for this. If you say this, I wish you would stop saying this. I think this is wrong. I think this is really, really heretical. But listen, I go to work and I make the same money as those guys I work with. And I do not look around the parking lot and say, I could have that nice truck if we would just quit tithing. You know what I think? They could probably have what I have if they'd start tithing. 
It is wrong to think that $100 I put in the offering takes away from the kind of car I could be driving. That is wrong thinking. You have to understand, I am giving it to the Lord and he is taking care of all of my needs and I can testify to you. When me and Renee, before we got married, we made an agreement, we will pay tithes of everything that we owe and as we went through life, we've had our ups, we've had our downs, we've had our times, we struggle. but God has always been faithful. Always been faithful. And we've got ourselves in positions I didn't think we'd ever get out of. And God has blessed us to come through them and to overcome them. And so, guys, you can't outgive God. You, you can't outgive God. God is a generous God. Can I get a name? And God is a generous God. So it costs a lot of money to go to Sand Hill Church. But I just want you to think, how much did it cost in the second chapter of Acts and the fourth chapter of Acts? How much did it cost for those people to take all their possessions and sell them to take care of the needs in the church? Let me give you a hypothetical. We don't have this, we don't have this in 2023. <clears throat> Let's just give you a hypothetical. There's a family in our church, and they've got two little kids, and we know for sure they don't have a place to live, they don't have any food to eat, they don't have a vehicle to drive, they're literally starving to death. Can I, we don't have that. Right? And if we did, we'd just call the government and have them take care of their needs, right? And that's a whole other whole message. But let's get back to this. If that was the case, you know what all of you should do after you've paid your tithe? Whatever it takes to make sure those people are okay. Does that make sense? So God may be calling you to give $1,000 above your tithe because a family is dying of starvation and you have to take care of that need. These people in Acts were giving. Uh, whenever they said we're having an extra meal, they didn't say, oh, my gosh, how much is that going to cost me? It, it was their life. It's what they did. And I believe that's what it's supposed to be at Sand Hill Church. Now, again, I with me and Renee, as much as I lo love the Lord, if I'm real, real honest, I hope I'm not the only one. But every week when I write out that, that check that goes into the offering, I think, Sister Wilma, I think, I wish it was more. I wish it was twice as much. I wish me and Renee had money to give way more. Whenever we, whenever we buy things for the church and all the things we do and all, all that we do in this church, when we spend that money, I always think, I wish I could give more. We invite a missionary in and we give him our check and I think, I wish I could give him more. So there's, there's that hard to do more, but there is reality. There's just, there is only so much money. So if you're sitting here saying, well, I don't have a lot of money, this isn't about a lot of money. This is about your heart. Am I getting that through? Are you guys getting that? This is a very important statement. I don't think I have it in your notes. It might be worth writing down. And this is really the whole message right here. Is giving money taking away from your life or is this your life? See, if you have a whole other life that is out there, when you give money to the church, that is saying, I don't get to go out to eat. I don't get to go to a ball game. I don't get to go buy the shotgun. I don't get to do the things I want to do. But if this is your life, then you're just putting money into your life. Am I making sense to anybody? Are you guys getting this? If this is your life, you don't mind putting money into your life. Very often, me and Renee are putting the, the money we're spending to go out back and eat so as we can uh, bring food on Sunday. Uh, all I tell her is, is, well, we're not going out to eat because we're eating with the church. So if my goal in life is to not eat with the church, that's irritating. Because I had to spend money for you guys to eat when me and Renee could have went out to eat. Are you guys following me? But if my goal is to be with my church family and love you guys, that's not grievous. 
It's because I want to be with you guys. Am I making sense to me? I'm just trying to show you the heart. The heart really reveals a whole lot about it. So if, if giving money is taking away from your life, um, or is this your life? <clears throat> so I have a strong conviction. I want to share this with the church. Um, I, I'll make this real clear, and we're just about done. I have a very strong conviction. I believe is with everything that's in me, because I happen to believe God is right. But here's what I believe, church. I believe is everything that's in me. If we, as a congregation, will give what God asks us to give, there will never be a lack of money to do anything God wants us to do. Right? See, we can come up with all kinds of other gimmicks to get money, but if we do what God says, so here's the scenario. If everybody that comes to Santa Church is giving what God tells you to be giving, there's nothing God can say, go do, and we'll say, well, we don't have the money. There will always be the money we need to do anything if we give what God says to give. Because God's right. Because okay? God's right. And if we're being obedient, God can fill in when we come short. So there will always be enough money if we do what God wants. And so that tells me that if there's not enough money to do what we need to do, somebody's not doing what God says to do. Right? Does that make sense? So this is a big one here. Number three. I really want you guys to get this. Please don't leave me. How to follow the Spirit in giving. That is so important. That is so important. By the way, that needs to be a capital S. That is the Holy Spirit. How do we follow the Holy Spirit in giving? This is really, 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 really important. How many people never give to the church, but there's someone, something they find out about and it tugs on their emotions, but their, their pocketbook just opens up? Do you know what I'm talking about? That, that story that I told you, had that been real, ha, ha, was there someone in the church? I know you people. I, I know the Sand Hill Church. I, I have no doubt. If I told you uh, that there's a family in this church and they are desperately in need and they literally have no place to eat, no, no place to sleep and nothing to eat, don't have a car to drive, they have nothing. I have no doubt in my mind before church was out tonight, we'd have $10,000 to give them. Is anybody with me? We'd have $10,000. You guys would give the money it takes to take care of that. I know you would because that's how this church is. You guys are so generous. So the money is there. Uh, so so we, we, we would supply that need. But listen, emotion and the Spirit of God is not the same thing. Now, I'm going to say something. I don't know if everybody here knows this. But I am very aware of this fact. There are a lot of pastors that are very, very good at manipulating your, in, your emotions to get your pocketbook to open up. I know how to do that, by the way. I know how to, to bring your, because see, when emotions come, pocketbooks just come open and money just comes flying out. Then the next day you're thinking, what in the world did we do? Why did we give all that money, right? It was an emotional thing, right? It wasn't the Spirit of the Lord, it was an emotional thing. So I could, I could bring sad stories and I could work on your emotions and I could manipulate you guys to give things. But listen, that's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will tell you what you're supposed to do. So how do we follow the Spirit of the Lord? I want you to think about this. <clears throat> I mean this sincerely, I mean it generally. Is there anybody here who wants to know how to follow the Lord on giving your money? Two of you, thank you. Okay, okay. What if, however much money you have, if you can barely pay your bills and you're barely getting by, if you're not paying one penny of the church right now, if you're paying 20% right now, if you're paying 20% and still got all kinds of money left over, it, it, it doesn't matter. All those scenarios doesn't matter. 
But if everyone here would simply say, not in emotion, but God, my hands are open. Whatever you want, I will give it to you. <gasps> I'd be afraid to do that. He might ask for, no, he's God. He can ask for whatever he wants. He might understand your situation and understand that you can't afford to give and say, if you would just give this much, I would be very pleased because that shows me your heart. But what I'm saying is the spirit can prompt us to give what he wants. And I believe that it is God's will uh, that, that sometimes not only do we give our money to the church, but God prompts our heart to, to help a missionary or prompts our heart to help a ministry or prompts our heart to give something extra for something. Uh, so God prompts us to do those things. But it is not just an emotional tug. It is the spirit working with us. And when you earnestly, if you earnestly go home and say, God, with, an, with open hands, whatever you want is yours. He will speak to you. Now, now we're taking out the, the, the response in, in time motion. Now we're allowing the Spirit to come in and speak to us and, and prompt us. And, and whether that, whatever that looks like, it is just an openness to say, God, I will do what you want. So here's the thing, guys. I want everybody here to, I want everybody to hear me. Some, some here are, are having a real hard time making it financially. Some of us are, are, are just struggling by. Others maybe have a little bit more. All those things make no difference whatsoever. Whatever God says, will he not take care of it? If you're not giving anything and he says you need to start giving something, will he not take care of that? If you're giving 10% and he says you need to give more, will he take care of that? If you're here this morning and you're giving 25% already and he said that's not enough, will he take care of that? So I'm saying, can we trust God? Can we trust him? He's trustworthy, guys. We, we trust him. He will take care of us. So, so that following the Spirit is, is just really with an open heart of sincerity, just asking the Lord, how would you have me to do it? With open hands, just pray, God, show me, and I will do it. It is trusting God and <clears throat> a sincere desire to fully surrender. I think in many, many areas of our church, many of you have surrendered but what about this area? Because I'm trying to get us where we have the attitude that the New Testament teaches, and all the other attitudes are important, but are you surrendered in this area? Is it, I'm surrendered in my Bible reading, and I'm surrendered in the job I'm doing, and I'm surrendered in this, and I'm surrendered in that. Finances, I haven't really got to that. Well, let's start today. Will you surrender to the Lord everything He asks? Let me, I feel like we need a warning here, because this is something that probably needed to be addressed a long, long time ago. <clears throat> I've talked to the deacons about this. There is a problem with this. Um, I don't want you to be misunderstanding me. If you don't understand this, please come see me after service. But we're done with the message. I'm just going to give you a little bit of instructions right here. It is a problem at the Sand Hill Church that you guys are so crazy generous. You ever, have you ever hear a preacher say that? <laughs> no preacher ever says that, right? But it is a problem. And, and I would like to give you just a little bit of instructions on that. We've had this happen over and over and over and over again, and, and sometimes beyond my control, uh, I think some things have happened that probably really shouldn't have happened. But here's what I know about some of you. If someone would have showed up at church this morning with some scraggly clothes on, driving an old, old car, and gave you a hard sob story, you'd have broke the checkbook out. You'd wrote them two or $300 check and said, I want to make sure and take care of them because you're good people and you have a generous heart. 
So let me tell you a story. A lot of things happen. I don't always advertise everything. Maybe tell the deacons, don't tell everybody else. But let me tell you a little story. <clears throat> there is a girl. I'll tell you what her name is. There is a girl named Jennifer. Okay? She called me 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, Pastor Gary, I'm in downtown Sandusky. I don't have any way of getting home. I'm, I've got a little child here, and I don't have any money. And, and boy, I just, I, I just, I need you to come down and help me. Now, as a pastor, that really tugs on your heart. I want to go down. I want to call the deacon and say, let's take our whole bunch of money. But our policy is we don't do that. So we didn't. Guess what? She called again. And then she called again. You know what I found out? She's got a plan. She's calling every church around here and telling every pastor the same story and having every pastor come give her money. It's a living. It's a living asking the church for money. And, and, and she must have forgot she called me because she called me over and over and over and over. And it was always some new sob story like she'd never talked to me before. And I'm thinking, we've talked 12 times before and you told me this and I'm not going to help you. But some of you would have ran down there and gave her hundreds of dollars to probably go smoke weed and sleep with her boyfriend. Are you guys with me? Amen. Listen, I'm all for helping people. If, we, if, if the deacons discern that someone is genuinely in need, we ought to get behind them and give them everything they need. But there's a whole lot of people that are just out to rob the church. We've had numerous people show. I have people call me like that all the time. Some sad story, and they, they went to church, and they're always really nice. Oh, pastor, I love Jesus, and I, I appreciate you, and you're such a godly man, and will you please help me? Nobody, oh, you run. <laughs> right? All they're wanting is money, right? They're mad when they're not going to get the money, right? And they're professional people who do this all the time. We ever see the videos, uh, the, the videos of the guy on the street with a sign, you know, I don't have my family starving, give me money, and then he packs up for the day and he goes gets in the new Escalade and drives home, right? Guys, that's real. That's real. So let's make sure what we're doing when we're helping people, because you guys are so generous. I know people will take advantage of you, and some of you, I love you so much, but you, you, your heart is so big, you just give to anybody, and sometimes we need to make sure. Our deacons do a very good job of determining if this is real or if this is not real, but we don't just hand out money to anybody who says they want money. We want to know that it's really a legitimate need. And may I remind you, it is the Lord's money. Amen? We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.